we all have a pretty critical role to shaping where this is headed, right? Like, I think we can collectively decide, are we going to be editors, curators, conductors of this thing? Or are we going to be co-creators? Are these systems going to leave enough space for human creativity? Or are they going to take over every single little bit through automation and leave us not much to kind of take part in? You are listening to One More Question, a podcast by the people of NiceWork. One of the things we often catch ourselves saying is, can we ask you one more question? This podcast is all about sharing the best conversations we have had with significant builders, experts, and communicators. The people we encounter and work with as we go about helping you build brands people care about. Season four is based on our exploration of Web3, NFTs, and all things Metaverse. We're seeing an explosion of creativity and brands popping up all over this new space. Yet the rules seem to be different and experimentation is not only expected, but welcome. Follow our conversations with the designers, the builders, and the visionaries shaping Web3 and the Metaverse. I'm your host, Ross Drakes. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Nando Costa. Nando is a Brazilian-American designer with over 25 years of experience in digital products, branding, and animation. He started in Rio de Janeiro, and he eventually found his passion in motion graphics. Nando's dedication to understanding his client's brand ethos, business challenges, and customer needs has led him to deeper engagements. He worked on the HoloLens operating system at Microsoft, laying the foundation for the next generation of HoloLens. He focused on enhancing productivity, experiences, and envisioning how they can be translated to the realm of mixed reality. Nando spearheaded a new initiative in product storytelling, resulting in the creation of 30 UX forms that transformed the public perception of Microsoft. Nando now works on the Microsoft Mesh team, exploring the intersection of traditional UX, immersive experiences, and generative AI. We talk about the role of the designer when you're working with an AI, and he shares how using an AI to build the next generation of brands is gonna affect the way that we perceive companies and how they represent themselves. We also talk about how this affects brand strategy and how it allows you to expand into virtual experiences. And most of all, he lets us know how to start educating ourselves and playing with and exploring this new technology. Enjoy. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. No, thank you. Yeah, happy to be here and, and looking forward to the conversation, of course. I mean, I'm I'm going to start by sort of geeking out a little bit. Um, you know, I've been watching your work since I was studying, so it's it's for me a great honor to be able to to interview you. I remember actually downloading MOV files off the internet, sort of before streaming video was even a thing, and um, and watching your work. Um, and I've been sort of, I guess, watching from afar, um, and I'm very interested in in why you've sort of evolved quite heavily into AI and 3D and kind of generative graphics. Like what was it about that that sort of caught your attention and and pulled you into this world? Yeah, no, and I love I love that you dated me a little bit. <laughs> I uh, as you talked about downloading MOVs, um, 
I also had my own little collection. Uh, I think we all did. So uh, mm. there was, I was just talking about this yesterday, how, how much I enjoyed those, those early days, the serendipity of sort of bumping into, you know, a new website and discovering this trove of like treasures, um, you know, visual or moving things or sounds and uh, good, good times. Uh, nowadays, you have a billion things in your fingertips, but uh, I love this Cabernet hunt uh, of, of the, you know, late 90s, uh, early 2000s. <laughs> yes. uh, Felt, felt interesting. <laughs> yeah, I've actually um, still got hard drives sitting on a shelf somewhere with with that archive that I sort of built up that was infinitely valuable. And we used to meet and trade the trade yeah, them like yeah. they were an asset that you could have, you know. And reference Very was much like one so. of the most valuable things you could have. Exactly. <clears throat> but to answer your question, um, I guess. Um, Maybe, maybe I think what got me into design in the first place was kind of the same same path that took me into 3D, that took me into generative uh, work. I guess it's just curiosity and 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 feeling like you know, like a child again in a way, um, as you discover these new ingredients, right? So, so I. You know, from from my teenage years, I just loved drawing. Like I, I took on to, um, you know, uh, ink drawing early on. Of course, pencil, graphite, other things before that. But spent a lot of time doing ink drawing, and then you know, started going into canvas, and then into photography, and set up a little dark room, and didn't like just taking photos, so I started projecting onto photographic paper kind of like the Man Ray, you know, approach to, to some of his work um, and did carvings and then went back into painting again and created uh, uh, egg tempera because I didn't like the paint at the store. And, and then all of a sudden I bumped into flash and it's like, wait a second, <laughs> um, this is interesting. And that opened up my mind to design. And then I started doing graphic design and illustration and branding, but then really took on uh, uh, the idea of interactive design. And, and in, in that, I discover motion graphics, like, wait, there's a thing called After Effects, and that's how you get these other, this other level of fidelity into animation. And one thing led to another. All of a sudden, you do stop motion. You do uh, live action. You pick up a camera. You discover there's high-speed cameras, Phantom. And, and you know, you're curious about drone photography or time lapses. And, all these things just seem like this, this never ending world of just, you know, uh, kind of discovering what you could do with those ingredients, those tools. Mm. And then last year, you know, after having been at Microsoft for, for a while, I, I spent some time at Google. Um, but those two journeys opened up my mind to UX design too, and design systems, design language, and um, of course, immersive design and mixed reality and virtual reality, et cetera, et cetera. But um, uh, just like at the end of my experience doing motion design, towards those last 10 years of working a lot in UX, I was feeling like I was yearning for something new. And, and that new thing ended up being generative AI, uh, which really what caught my, my, uh, my eye was mid-journey, but there's so many more things right around that world. And it feels like every mm. day there's a new startup around sound, around voice, uh, music, um, 
uh, of course, all kinds of image, and now even UX design, right? Automation inside of Figma, you kind of describe the app you want and you get, you get all that like stood up in front of you. So really, uh, it is this, this uh, excitement, this, this curiosity for trying it all. Uh, I don't know if that's a great strategy career-wise because you, you don't have that, that one focus that makes you stand out and people uh, understand you for it. Um, but I think the times are just too exciting to just stick to one thing. So, uh, that's my approach. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, it's fascinating. I guess like when you string it together like that, it does feel like a, an exploration of these new technologies as they're sort of coming out. And, you know, like I can also remember when flash came out and how in the beginning it was such a novel thing and no one knew how to use it. And then it, sort of became ubiquitous and everyone had it and it was all over the place and then Steve Jobs famously hated on it and and kind of terminated it and that was sort of the end of that and it's almost like I see the same thing happening motion and branding like animated logos weren't really a thing and now I think when people are designing their brands and creating their brands the motion is almost one of the most you know one of the first things they think about and not the the last thing they think about um and I can remember well, some of the work that I, I really enjoyed that you were doing was when you were at Google, you were doing those like weird, maybe weird's the wrong word for all the brand people listening, but these experimental kind of logo resolves of shapes and colors and explosions and pops and flashes and, and all sorts of things, but with the kind of the Google brand sort of being expressed by these machines. Can you talk a little bit about how you see kind of branding and and this world of branding being influenced by these technologies that are, are, are here and in, improving exponentially. Yeah, I'm glad you took it into that direction. Um, I, I was just discussing this yesterday with someone here. Um, I feel like, you know, if you think about the, the influence of of photography, right? I think photography has had this long journey. Um, uh, you know, the the some of the, at least in recent history, some of the the, the most influential ways that kind of humans can um, uh, tell a story, you know, kind of transport you elsewhere. Um, and and we've commoditized photography by putting a camera in in every nearly everyone's pocket. On the planet, mm. and and yet there's still you know this distinction, I guess, from really great photography um, and 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 framing and composition and lighting and so on and so on. Of course, um, I think with advancements uh, in in those cameras that I'm talking about on your phone, uh, nearly everyone now can take a good looking photo. But still, I think that telling a story of photography is a whole other level. Um, now, with with brands, I think, um, and with logos in particular, there's always been this this idea that your logo and your brand, specifically your your mark, are meant to just you know be immutable. Uh, that you create this thing that is meant to be memorable, and people are supposed to recognize it. Uh, and, and, you know, take with them and in a way, hopefully see themselves, you know, 
with that brand. Uh, there's a, 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 some hope that there's some tying between your identity and that brand, right? So you're mm -hmm. looking for your tribe a bit. Um, however, I think that where we're going to head is more of a, uh, you know, as we commoditize AI everywhere, I think customers are going to want to understand what your brand is all about. Like, why should I care more than any other time, right? Because I think these technologies are going to be, you know, we already see in the startup world where, yes, you have ChatGPT, yes, you have Midjourney and Stable Diffusion and those, those kinds of techs. But now, especially with Stable Diffusion, you have all these different startups um, using Stable Diffusion to do various different things. Mm. Uh, same thing with ChatGPT. And so it's going to be pervasive. It's going to be commoditized. commoditized. It's going to be everywhere. And so what is it that makes your brand really be something I want to be part of and use it beyond, beyond the usability of that tool that you're, you're giving me? And I think that uh, seeing yourself in that brand, having more of a personal connection with that brand uh, and the way that brand looks and feels uh, might be one of those steps that takes you closer to that brand. And so that makes me think, in the case of Google and those experiments, it was, what if brand were generative? What if the way that you recognize Google or Microsoft or Apple or any brand for that matter is really just that specific shape? Uh, and I'm now talking only about one little pocket, right? Maybe it's just a shape for the moment. And, and maybe it expresses itself just for me. So... Maybe there are 8 billion ways, right, on the planet that people will have their own logo that's just for them. Yes, the shape is, retains the same structure and form, um, but it expresses itself differently just for me. And mm. I think then the role of a brand designer is to kind of curate that, like, what are the edges? What are the swim lanes for expression within that brand, right? Um, I find it super interesting and captivating. I think we're just at the very, very beginning of that. Um, but Brent's strategy is about to, to uh, be turned upside down a bit by, by mm. these tools. I mean, I find that both exciting and, and you know, daunting is the wrong word, but I can see, you know, I've been in presentations with, with the brand team at a big corporation, you know, and, and their only job is to protect the blue. You know, it must be RGB 433, you know, like 222 and 69, you know, that, that, and it has to be that color. And they've been trained their whole career just to look for that thing. It'll be interesting to see how people inside these companies are are taught and enabled by creatives and designers like us to, to think about the control of this, this asset that represents a massive legal entity, a corporation in a new way. Because it's one thing to set the tool up to create that and to generate it for people, but it's another one for the organization to almost embrace that and, you know, and, and appreciate it. I think that's going to be a, a different journey altogether. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw that early on. I think it was about what, five years ago or so when I started making, probably made the first video, uh, UX video here uh, uh, at my old team at Microsoft. It was inside the office team. And, and even at that time, what we were doing felt, it felt super new and different. And I think the, the 
you know, our counterparts in marketing and team were were open minded. Um, but it, it was clear that I don't wouldn't use the word friction, but I would use the word maybe to describe that there was there was a. Um, it was it was a new ingredient, a new way of sort of looking at things, mm. and and I think we just it, it it was bound for some like interesting discussions to happen, right? Like, mm. where is this going to go? Does this really feel like us? Uh, is it one of a kind, or are we going to keep you know expanding this? And um, does it hurt our brand, or does it help our brand, and so on and so on? And we saw the initial reactions, and it was actually like. I think the the that press release was at the time the the most successful press release that Office had had in its whole, whole history, and and then we did the second one and the third and the fourth and the fifth, and then years passed, and then I think you know I directed thirty of them, and then the team continues to create more and more on that specific aesthetic, and of course every time something new is created, it sort of twists and turns and becomes something new, mm. and and it has helped um, the brand itself and the approach to the principles around the brand to evolve, to change. And I can see that nowadays uh, the team is much more open-minded to being less protective of, hey, we'll always you know, have our product stories happen in a white background and we'll always have this one specific font that always shows up in this one size and so on and so on. And the music has to be done by the exact same agency and sound exactly the same way. That, that rigidity uh, has faded away. Now we recognize we're still shepherding like this big brand. There's a lot of responsibility around looking after uh, something like that. And so uh, there's a lot of thoughtfulness that goes into it, but I, I I think it's really a really good time, a really good signal that brands as large as Microsoft are willing to to be more open minded uh, for how it gets expressed. Mm. And it's uh, I guess it's it's uh, yeah what you described there is that sort of journey is that it's I think scary in the beginning and then it becomes normal. Um, and as you were talking, I was thinking that how many times we have sat and like agonized over the scale of the logo and the white space around it and what the layout is and the grid. And ultimately does anybody else outside of this team and the brand team at the company care about it as much as we do? Uh, and the answer is, is often no. Um, but it is interesting that the designers are now having to think about these guardrails. I'd love to. I'd love to hear what your sort of perspective is on what creative people should be thinking about in terms of the parameters that they need to be setting. You know, because all these things, grids, colors, fonts. This is just a. It's almost like a a box that keeps everything in the same place. And now that box has gotten sort of potentially infinitely wider, but it can't be infinite because you still need those things like differentiation and visual cut, you know, like recognition and acknowledgement yeah. and all the things that, that a brand is sort of designed to do. Can you, can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, maybe I'll answer by going uh, into the topic of, of uh, design systems. Um, we talked a little bit about brand and, and how brand systems are there to protect, you know, certain aspects uh, around the brand and how it gets represented. Uh, design systems are meant to help scale products 
and key products under one umbrella, one company, or one platform feel cohesive, feel connected, feel like they are, you know, uh, there's less of a cognitive uh, load on the user as well. Um, if all, you know, uh, if all uh, uh, Android or iOS apps, you know, talking about phones, uh, you know, if it was a, a, a Wild West and it could all look completely distinct, uh, I think we will feel the the weight of that as a user, right? So, so there's there's some goodness in that rigidity. At the same time, we are now trying to align between hundreds of millions, if not billions, of people. Right? Hey, mm -hmm. everybody, learn how to use this thing, and it's going to look the same way because it's going to benefit you. Sure, but but I am different than you. And, yes. and I'm different than my parents and different than my daughter, right? So I'm talking about age gaps now. And so I might have a particular disability. I might have, you know, let's say uh, uh, low vision, or I might be left-handed versus right-handed. I might mm. be a 12-year-old versus a 70-year-old. And Microsoft products, you know, have five generations using these products, right? So this is an example as to how generative design systems can, can maybe be tailored to every person's need. Um, and, and now your experience cohesively is now um, adapted to your own needs across everything that you're doing, right? Mm. Whether you're writing an email, making a phone call, or creating a list for a uh, supermarket uh, uh, run that you're going to do at the end of the day. And, and that doesn't have to be the same as yours, right? Uh, I'm talking about you, Ross. So, um, so we, you know, talking about brand expression, yes, they can be taken in many different directions. I think we talk about design systems becomes a little bit more complex, but I, I see them as the same problem. Uh, mm. And why couldn't, um, my, you know, my little microcosm of my own phone or my devices uh, uh, look uh, connected to one another, but also be tailored on the user experience end to my own needs. Maybe I want extremely minimal um, uh, interface at all times, or maybe I only interact with AI and maybe it renders what I need in place, right? It's kind of summons all the parts that kind of look like an app, uh, but really are not an app. I'm not thinking about what app I need. I'm just thinking about what I want to do. But mm. maybe some users might actually really want to depend on, no, I want that app. I want to use Outlook versus another email uh, uh, service. So could it render those bits uh, almost like pretending it's an app for a moment, but really it's just assembling all the kit of parts and slapping some a little bit of brand on top of it. Mm. I, I think that's kind of the direction where we might be headed eventually. I think we're not quite there yet to kind of implement that at the scale uh, that we've been deploying software at this time. But, but I think that's what's trending towards eventually just having, you know, uh, hundreds if not thousands of parts that can be assembled on the spot generatively as you need them. Mm. So it's interesting. I mean, just before I got on this call, I was looking at, you know, we're busy designing a website and we're looking at wireframes and discussing colors and sizes and all of that. And it feels interesting that that might go away. And it almost begs the question, it's like, like 
how do you design without designing at all? How do you create these things without actually creating them is a, a whole nother thing that you need to wrap your head around. Exactly. And, and I, I've been trying to spend a little bit of energy whenever I can uh, to learn Houdini, right? I always mesmerize and impressed of the stuff that, that artists are doing with Houdini out there. But it's, as you know, learning any kind of new VFX software, it can take a, a ton of energy uh, and, and years before you feel really accomplished. Oh, I, I can pull this off. I have an idea. I can go all the way to the end. So I, as an experiment, described to ChatGPT what I'd like to do in Houdini. And it said, sure, here are all the steps you need to take, right? Like go from A to B to C to D. And eventually you, at the end, it's like, and you're going to get this. I, I hope you enjoy the result. Um, now, what's, what's preventing that from being integrated inside of Houdini? So I can ask it right there in the, in the interface press go and all those instructions are translated into nodes that are already connected for me and I can see the result in real time. Hmm. I'm sure I'm sure somebody out there uh, is, is looking into that. Same thing for, and I tried that for processing, which I don't know how to code. So I described uh, an interface that I wanted to do, the kind of interactions I would want with my cursor, what these elements on the screen would do. Uh, it wrote the code in real time in front of me. I copy, I paste it, I press enter. All of a sudden, I have this little interactive thing. It wasn't perfect, uh, but I could I could go from there. It would take me days, if not weeks, to even just you know <laughs> do that, do yeah, that. yourself. So, and it wouldn't be perfect either. <laughs> yeah, so you're right. Like I think, um, how do you uh, design for that? I think I think you know uh, the the experiences we'll be thinking more about uh, are probably as as kind of like widgets um you know i i i'm going to create this really small sort of skill this thing that i'm going to be specialized in and it's going to be amazing at let's say it's just creating you know interesting avatars so uh, uh you can create an avatar that's you know looks like a robot and it's uniquely to 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 you nando uh and and maybe somebody you know will train a model on top of machines and robots and images of all these things, and they would sell that uh, into a service that then like cool I want that cool robot um, I'm going to get this prompt or this 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 model this training model so that I can create an avatar that looks like that. Mm. That might be the next kind of like uh, uh, way that that developers and creators kind of plug in into this world. But if you're a designer on the other side, thinking about the systems all up, designing a brand new website from the ground up, I think it's going to really, we're going to take several steps back and be more into the idea uh, part of the, the process, you know, and how everything connects together. And then directing the, the art direction, the prompts that then tell the, the sound design AI to create the right sound the visual AI to create the right images, the UX AI to create the right interface, maybe an animation one to sort of integrate it all and do the micro interactions. Mm. Um, I think, you know, that might be where we end up as designers more than actually like moving every pixel in every direction. 
but also it strikes me that things like values, principles, um, and personality, uh, you know, of the brand become more important, you know, in this world because the traditional tools of colors and fonts and structures aren't as prevalent or answers. We're not creating those, but it's like, if we say that we are a serious company or, you know, our tone is friendly and quirky, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. These are the kind of design prompts that the, the, the kind of the machines would use to sort of craft that experience, you know, and, and weirdly, I think people are going to have to expand their thinking and skill into that space to sort of understand what is this company look like as a personality so that anything you create using these tools is almost linked to that uh, in a in a new and interesting way. Yeah, and I'm starting to see, um, you know, uh, 3D artists, visual effects artists um, wrestling with that question and, and taking their own work uh, into, into training their own stable diffusion models to see what AI would do with them and could it replicate their own work. And mm. for the most part, from what I've seen, a couple of people actually super uh, surprised and kind of shocked of like, wow, it really kind of understood this thing that I do that I've been doing for all these years and it can kind of copy me. <laughs> um, and so uh, what's interesting for the next few years is that um, for anyone that is, is playing with this that, or, or just building products around this or guiding the direction for where products are headed, we all have a pretty critical role to shaping where this is headed, right? Like, I think we can collectively decide, are we going to be editors, curators, you know, um, conductors of this thing? Or are we going to be co-creators? Are we going to, are these systems going to leave enough space for human creativity? Or mm. are they going to take over every single little bit through automation? and leave us not much to kind of uh, um, take part in. Of course, I prefer the, the, the former, where we are uh, uh, creatively uh, uh, participating and only using AI for the bits that are uh, too repetitive, too cumbersome for, for people to be there, copy and pasting. Even though I would add that I have many, many, many times throughout my career and to this day still do that, choose very repetitive things to do sometimes mm. in the part of the day because it helps me think through problems, right? It helps me like, I'm going to go into Photoshop now and do this very laborious thing for like a whole day because it helps me process everything else that I've been ingesting throughout the week. Yes. And I'm wondering with all of this extra skills that we're going to get with AI, like, and we're going to save all this time, what are we going to do with the extra time? Um, I would like to like to still have uh, to be productive um, and 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 to have that time for thinking rather to pack more things into my day. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess it does it does uh, ask the question of like if you if you're getting these new tools, does it mean we just expect more outputs or not? I mean, I was having a debate with a friend of mine around ChatGPT and what it's going to do, and I was like, well. The, the most obvious use case for me right now is that there's going to be an explosion of blogs and kind of, you know, social content. And it's all going to be like written by ChatGPT 
And then what's going to happen is people are going to get bored very quickly of reading all of this content. So we're probably going to invent like read GBT, which is going to then scrape all of this content and like make your little digest and send it back to you. So now it's like, so we're going to create this loop where, you know, kind of a machine is making writing for a machine to read so that it can feed it back to us in a, in a sort of simple form, you know, and that feels like the most almost the worst use case for, for the technology that we've created, but it seems to be where a lot of the thinking is, is heading. Yes, 100%. And, and I, I, I don't know. I think there, there's a lot of positives. Um, obviously, there's a lot of things that can be done for good, and, and there's some nightmare scenarios like that. I think so far, um, lots of things that I've seen uh, are extremely positive. Um, search, for instance, is one that I, I mean, I've been using ChatGPT, and soon uh, uh, I'm sure it'll be migrating over to Bing uh, to, for instance, cook. Um, I've done, you know, a handful of recipes so far where in the past I would search for something and I would get a billion links, right? And uh, maybe some to the top uh, were ads and they weren't really the thing that I was looking for. And it felt like you had to either be paying for for, uh, that viewership um, or you had to be a really big publisher for it to stand out. Uh, But maybe there was a great recipe for a chicken noodle soup uh, or whatever it is that I was looking for by Mm. someone that was independent. And I think based on my needs, like uh, some of my family doesn't eat gluten, right? And so... Uh, or somebody else has a different certain allergy, like how can I, you know, tailor all my needs, all my likes and dislikes uh, in the context of whatever else I, is that I'm eating uh, as mm. part of that meal and have it kind of like suggest that thing to me right in the spot as one answer, as opposed to hundreds or thousands that I have to sit yeah. through. So it's almost like training the model of what your preference is is, is more important because that shapes your internet experience or your web experience or your experience with brands is, is building that model out and then they can interface back with you in an in a interesting and meaningful way. Now, now I'm, I'm interested because you sort of, you've come out of the motion graphics world, you know, creating these sort of animated experiences. You've done UI, you've done UX, you know, and obviously there's, huge components of the stuff that's that's sort of coming now is is metaverse related um even though i think that word has been sort of tarnished a little bit but almost like these virtual realities that we have the potential to sort of enter into and i think the hardware component is improving exponentially um and there'll be ar vr sort of components to our lives how do you see all of this stuff sort of colliding in these new virtual worlds where space is, is interesting, like brands, how do they come to life in this space? Now you've got, you know, in theory, instead of me having a brand store, I can walk into a store and it can be the Nike store made for Ross Drake's, you know, because they know my preference yeah. and they know kind of what I like. How do you, how do you see this playing out in a, in a, in a kind of virtual world? I mean, not not to continue to talk about generative content, um, but probably you know, putting aside the hardware limitations, which are a big hurdle, I think, for for mass adoption, right? Because we're talking about comfort, we're talking about price, we're talking about aesthetics, 
Mm. Um, so let's let's put that aside because it's a whole other kind of conversation. But talking about the experience side, um, I, I think you know two two big struggles. One is it takes quite a lot of energy to build any given like kind of immersive world. Um, it's there's a lot of optimizations that go into it. Um, and, and it can be, it, it's not very cost effective to go and build lots of them. And, and there's already tons of uh, research papers and early prototypes of how you could generate 3D uh, just from text straight to 3D, right? Um, there's some models that do go text to image to 3D, but there's some already that go straight to 3D. And it's very, very, very far away from the quality that you might be getting with Midjourney or Dali or any anything else. But like everything else, the the speed in which it improves is quite quick. And so mm. I could imagine a world in which um, you you know start a game and maybe that game is super open ended, right? Um, I maybe maybe back to the point of comparing games to brands now for a second. In the case of a generative brand uh, expression, all you might hold back is the shape. I want the Nike swoosh, and that swoosh cannot change angle, cannot be skinnier or bolder. Uh, it's going to remain the same shape, but you can express it in lots of different ways within mm. this one constraint, right? Like I'm. Maybe if I'm the shepherding the brand of Nike, I'm going to create this really big open world, but it can't go to certain directions, right? Mm. Maybe you won't have like, let's say, nudity associated with the swoosh, right? Like, um, but there's a lot that you can do within a certain space. In the case of a game, maybe all you start with is, let's say, a character and maybe a, a general mission. Hey, this character is a... Uh, space traveler and their objective is to do, I don't know, like harvest minerals from other planets uh, or discover new life forms, right? But you might really enjoy, you know, let's say underwater worlds or whatever it is that you w are going to enjoy, or you want it to be multiplayer or you want it to be a single player, right? You want it to be side-scrolling or you want it to be this immersive thing. And the list goes on and on and on about both aesthetics and functionality. And so mm. maybe at the beginning of that game, you can tell it what it is that you want. And it creates the thing for you. The same thing is easy to imagine for Netflix. I come in, I describe what kind of story I want to watch. Maybe generates only one episode for you. And if you like that episode, it generates more episodes. And, and if you like it enough, uh, maybe you, you know, maybe the algorithm shares it back with me because in those, we know each other and we like similar things, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden you have these generative kind of TV and movies. So when it comes to AR and VR, I think that it's going to take, you know, several years uh, of, uh, you know, this, this tech advancing a bit more so that the world can be truly procedural and tr truly alter generative so mm. that, you can actually have big enough of a world that it makes it interesting for you to go into, uh, you know, the one store over in, I don't know, Japan. I happen to know somebody that's working at Nike stores across the world. What if I could go and see those stores, but not having to leave my room and not, and Nike doesn't have to go and build them from scratch and spend 
you know, months, if not years, fine tuning every detail. And then it gets dated already, you know? Uh, and so I, I think it will take that time, uh, not just on the hardware, but on, on the tech to be able to kind of create uh, a plethora of content that can be unique, that can be stood up in just a day or a few hours or minutes. Um, and, and that is super exciting. Um, but we're not quite there yet. <laughs> that's that's exciting. So so we, we're almost out of time. I've got two more questions for you. The one is, you know, if if I was somebody who owned a brand, so I'm the 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 kind of owner of it or the custodian of it, like how would you suggest that I start kind of exploring this world? Because you know, the things we've been talking about are quite quite big and quite far, quite out there. Like where do you where do you suggest people sort of start thinking about this for for their brands and for their companies? Well, um, I think sometimes uh, maybe the easiest way is just to uh, dip your toes into it with an experiment, um, right? Like I just saw somebody writing about an example, right? I think he was um, product design using these generative tools uh, in the context of actually Nike again. And somebody was dreaming up um, different shoes and how they could look like. Some all laced up, some that looked like had a lot of bling. And, and what if you were to just create one shoe that's inspired by, that's been designed and envisioned through generative tools? And it starts to sort of like poke at the holes of the process, right? Um, and and how to actually make it from ideation all the way to reality. Mm. Uh, in the case of the brand itself and how a brand can be expressed, uh, it gets a little bit more complex. So I would imagine that a startup that's much smaller, much more nimble, let's say maybe it's a creative agency. Maybe that creative agency, you know, has every time you enter the website has a, a very different logo, a different way the typography is laid out. There are some designers that are already doing things like that, um, creating their own typographic tools that are generative. Um, but I would I would hope that we can use these these APIs, uh, something like Dali, um, as it gets better and better with typography, it gets better and better with shapes um, that you can use for that as well. So I think maybe it's starting small because it can be quite disruptive, right? As it goes as it grows bigger and goes potentially in a direction that's unwanted. Mm. So maybe, maybe, um, yeah, pick, pick a, pick a small project, uh, a special project and, and test it out there. See the reactions. Um, that's what I would do at least. Mm. That's super interesting. Ananda, I mean, I've got one more, one more question for you and that is, you know, you've seen a lot and you've been experimented with a lot. Can you, like for, for the creative people that are listening, what is the thing that excites you the most about this that they can go and sort of like explore and fiddle around with? You mean with, with, um, with AI and generative art in general? Yeah, with all of this explosion of generative AI and, and art and all of the, the possibilities it unlocks. I mean, it's it's actually quite daunting <laughs> i think you said that word earlier mm -hmm. um to be consuming all of this all at once because it's not just one tool it's dozens of tools um 
uh, Runway ML is one that that I've just started. I mean, it's been around for a little bit, but I've just started to explore and and I decided to to upload um, a bunch of my photography and see if you could replicate that. Uh, see if I could sort of imagine new places I haven't been to, but yet be photographed, quote unquote, in the style of how I typically take my photos. Um, and so for me, I'm still in that phase of exper experimentation. Um, uh, at work, I spend a little bit more time on sort of like thinking about how it can be systematized, how it can scale, what are the implications, the ramifications for the products we already have, but also creating space for future products. I think just start in the place that interests you. If it's music, if it's sound, um, there are plenty of tools already that can do some really interesting things. Some are not so great where it emulates the voice <laughs> of, of singers, if you've seen some of those things. Uh, but some other tools are a bit more, um, can create some more authentic things. Um, and, and, and start there and see how it fits into your own um, you know, process. Maybe there is a, a, a part of your process that maybe you typically get stuck or you feel like you're, you're, you've been doing the same kind of work, uh, maybe a bit repetitive and you're getting tired of it and you want a few challenged. And so what if you were to remix these things? I'm starting to do that a little bit myself. And instead of just creating images on their own and posting them as they are and focusing more on the prompt itself and how can I create really complex things by putting a, a hundred word prompt, you know, and being very detailed about it. Instead, I'm rendering some things, but then taking them in and collaging them together and, and fine tuning them and retexturing them and maybe adding some 3D details and designing some vector details that I add. And so it becomes this layering process. So um, just start small and, and, and pick the thing that's, that inspires you because you're just, it's not just about image making. There's some tools for typography. There's tools for video. There's tools for, for writing. And I enjoy writing as well. And I feel quite, you know, uh, it's quite curious. How can he maintain, which ChatGPT maintain my own tone, my own way of writing and putting my ideas out without sort of making them bland. Um, and, and, and so I'm learning how to sort of fine tune that and also be challenged in my own writing. English is not my first language. And so, uh, uh, I, I need some help there, but, um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, stay, stay inspired. There's just, there's just too much to, uh, out, out there to be excited about. So right. don't, don't be afraid. I'd say, don't be afraid. <laughs> <laughs> don't be afraid. I like that. Well, Nando, I mean, thank you so much. You know, I'm going to take out of what I'm taking out of this is, is this thinking about stewardship of these experiences a little bit more. Uh, deeply and and figuring out how that affects brands but then i guess as a creative i'm interested in in what is the experiment that i can play with how can i start fiddling around with this uh technology to see where it goes because i think uh, really important you know what you're talking about earlier is is how do we train these models how do we link them together how do we get them to do the things that we want them to do yeah not just that but how do we uh ensure that they don't um, take over all of the creativity that has been uh, driven by humans uh, to this day? And how do we mm. ensure that they're there really as this assistant, this co-pilot as has been used before as a term 
um, and instead, um, you know, are there to, to help us, to inspire us, to uh, amplify our ideas more than just to kind of, you know, give them uh, all chewed up and prepped for us. So that, that, that's an important bit for me. Mm. Nando, well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the work that you've been creating for many, many years. And thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. No, it was, it was awesome to, to uh, talk to you, Ross. Right. And we'll catch you all in the next one. Bye-bye. for listening we believe sharing knowledge is an obligation so if you know someone who's building a brand or needs some inspiration for their brand please share this with them this is our fourth season and we'd be grateful if you'd hit that subscribe button so you're the first to know when a new episode is released even better leave a review and tell the world how much you enjoyed listening one more question is brought to you by the people of nice work We're on a mission to build purposeful Web3 brands that people care about. We're based in South Africa and serve the leaders of brave companies around the world. If you'd like to know more, work with us or make a suggestion, please reach out at www.nicework.co.za. Bye-bye.